Hello? 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 Is it you? No, that's why I, I usually answer like, this is John. Hold on. Hello? My my, my, my ear pods aren't connecting. Or you call them your ear pods. Yeah. My ear pods no, aren't connecting. You call them, oh, you, I think you did I, call them ear pods. I don't Even know. you're changing. They I aren't ear pods. No, I'm, I'm, I know what you call them. It cracks me up. Ear pods. <laughs> oh, my phone. I don't know what's going on on my phone ever since I did this update. Ah! Dude, I can, uh, I can do a perfect impersonation of every phone call I have with you. Yeah, that's the way it goes, bud. Yeah. Every single time. Uh, every time. Well, how's it going? What's Good. up? Got to do a uh, interview with Sean Albright later today. Yeah, right on. I like Sean. Dude, yeah, I yeah. like Sean too. What I like about Sean is he keeps an open mind to things. Yeah. He's very open-minded. He doesn't, uh, I don't know, he just doesn't fall into the trap of doing things that other people are doing because they're doing it or using the products that people use because you know preconceived biases or whatever he's open to trying new things to um having conversations i think that's good i think it's a good thing uh, mm-hmm. so you know i like sean i like sean we talked i haven't talked to him seriously it's been a long long time we talked uh, a week or two ago it's been a little while but for like three hours he called me up and it was like a three-hour conversation it was great so yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah. Now he's a yeah. I know. I think Sean's great. Known him for years. Well, known him. It's not like we've been great buddies. Um, Sketch. Uh, he was doing a lot of stuff with SketchUp, mm-hmm. and I contacted him about that. And then I think more recently he had shown some pictures of some really cool things he was designing. Um, I don't know, a light or a lamp that I thought was super cool. So you know, I just. Like I do oftentimes, I'll just send somebody a message via messenger, you know what I mean? Just to reach out and say hi, hey, could, cool thing. And then his latest thing, I don't know how much time or energy it's consuming of his, but uh, we had a great conversation not long ago related to something, at least it sounds like. So I'm interested to hear this perspective of flow and what that means. Uh, it's gotten pretty deep into that. And then a YouTube channel. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great to talk to Sean. All good things. Before we talk to him, let's get the business part of this out of the way. John, we have the Concrete Hoedown and Hauler coming up October 26th, 27th, or 27th, 28th. What is it, John? I can't remember. 27th, 28th. I was actually going to call you that. Yeah, yeah. When, 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 and when were we going out? The 25th? I'm going out even sooner than that. Hold on, let me pull this up. Uh, Kodiak Pro. Dude, because I'm so bad with dates. I, I too. I want to get... I was just talking to Bradshaw yesterday, and he was saying plane flights right now are crazy and expensive. So I need to get that locked and loaded. So thanks for calling because I was going to call you anyway. I can't remember. If we 27th were coming out and on the 28th, 20- I pulled it up. Right. That's a, that's the actual thing. But what day did you want to get I'm going to get there to the 25th. Yeah, okay. And then we'll go with the 26th to help Dusty get set up. I'll be there yep. 27th, 28th, yep, yep. and I'll come back on the 29th. 29th. Yep. We had three more registrations yesterday. If we're not sold out, we're super close. I haven't looked at the website. but <laughs> That's if, right on the edge. Yeah. I know. If you are thinking about it, you're listening to this podcast, you're like, eh, go right now and register. October 27th, 28th, meet you in Tennessee. Watch the video on the Concrete Hoedown page. It's on the Kodiak Pro website. You go to Kodiak Pro, go to the store, go to training and events and click on it. And you'll see what it is. It's not training, but it's a gathering. We're going to cast concrete. We're going to have a great time. It is yeah. going to be phenomenal. Um, I'm hoping Sean comes. That's something I talked to him when I when I had that conversation. I'd love to have him out there, and he's going to see if he can make it. So I hope he's able to make it. So we have that going on. And then I have my class that I'm doing 
here in Wichita, the first class at my place. It's the Fundamentals Concrete Workshop, December 4th and 5th. And that class is getting a ton of enrollment. So I've had four registrations so far this week. Four people registered cool. this week alone. If you want to come to that, it's a two-day class. And this is really the stepping stone. I had a guy local come to my shop yesterday, really nice guy. His name is Garrett, and he's going to be in the class. And he wants to go to the Pinnacle class, but we don't have that scheduled yet. We're going to try to do one in the spring. Um, but he was, he's never done concrete and he's like, you know, I really want to learn that kind of stuff. I'm like, listen, dude, I want you to come to that class. I think you'll, you'll love that class, but you've never touched concrete. And we kind of have a lot of assumptions when you come to one of those workshops, those are yeah, advanced classes. Yeah. yeah. Those are advanced and it's a fire hose of knowledge, three instructors, you know, six days. And it's just, you know, it's like this massive download of experience right. and knowledge. And if you've never mixed concrete you've never poured concrete you've never done any of these things you're we're, we're making assumptions that you've done these things in a way even though we're going to do them and you're going to see it you're going to be right out of the gates in over your head with with information so this is what the fundamentals class is for it's to give you that first stepping stone of solid knowledge a solid foundation to build your business on so this is the starting point and, you know, we've toyed with the idea for years of doing a fundamentals class. There's other basics classes out there. The problem with the other basics classes is they're either a sales pitch. So they're a product demo, which again, I'm not yeah, anti. Not, nope. I'm, no, that's fine. You know, Kodiak yeah. Pro, we're going to do demo days. That's great. But we're not going in depth. We're not spending two days giving right. you the basics and, and the fundamentals from somebody that actually does it for a living. That's not a problem. It's a lot of these demo days are taught by salesmen who've never done concrete. They got hired at this company and now they do demo days. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. And the other side is there's training out there, basic training from people that don't do this for a living, you know? And again, if you're learning from somebody that doesn't do it, you're probably not getting the most up-to-date relevant information. You're, you're getting information from somebody that read the way to do it or watched a video on how to do it from people. Right. And they're not knowledgeable. So if you're going to spend money in a class, you're going to spend money to travel, you're going to take time away from your, from your family, learn from somebody that actually does it. And that's what this class is for. So we're filling a need and apparently works. People are registering at a pretty fast clip. So if you're new to concrete, check out the fundamentals workshop, go to concretedesignschool.com for that. And there's a link at the top and it's December 4th and 5th. So there we go. That's that, John. I know some people say this is a sales pitch, this podcast, but that's it. That, that, that was the sales portion that concludes that part of the podcast, John. Now we can get on to conversation with John Albright. Are you ready? Yeah, let's give him a call. All right, let's yep. do it. Sean Albright. How are you doing, buddy? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. John. How are you doing, buddy? Dude, that was reserved, man. You're like me. You gotta be like, Sean Albright. Hey, man, how's it going? Gotta bring it. <laughs> gotta bring it. Come on. Gotta bring it. Okay, then. <laughs> this, is, this is starting well. This is going good. I like where this is headed. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> right, are you there, Sean? Sean? How's it going, man? It's going well. It's been a minute yet, guys. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. You came to a class. Yeah. What year was that? 2000? 2010. I thought you was even sooner than that. I thought it was like 2007 or 8, but 2010, yeah. So. Yeah, so 08. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. 
Good. Well, how's life? What are you up to? Life's good. Yeah, I think, uh, and likewise, I'd like to hear from you guys. Um, you know, I've always had this plan or idea of um, steadily ramping down my quote-unquote day job, and we can get into all this. Um, I think it's pretty well known that uh, precast concrete hasn't been my primary source of income. Uh, it's been a secondary source of income, but legit, like in my uh, tax returns will tell you as much. Um, but I've always had this vision of like ramping that down, ramping up the precast concrete business, and that's what's been happening over the past couple of years. So I'm excited about that for sure. But uh, life's good, family's good, business is good, everything's everything's groovy, man. <laughs> and you've been doing YouTube tutorial videos on all different aspects of running a business. They're really good. I've been watching them as you as you post them. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate the plug. Um, so, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Training Day, but there's a great quote in there from Denzel Washington. He says, it's chess, not checkers, fool. I love that and, movie. And so good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> such a great movie. And um, I'm trying to play chess, although it feels a lot like I'm playing checkers most of the time. Um, and what I mean by that is the YouTube channel is kind of like a means to a larger end. Right. And, uh, Brandon, I might've shared this with you and John, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of this concept, but, uh, there's this, there's this entrepreneur out there named Alex Hormozzi and he's pretty far out there, uh, but he's wildly successful. And one of the things that he preaches is this idea of giving away the secrets, selling the implementation. And that might, that might actually strike you guys a certain way. <laughs> yeah. uh, we could get into that. Um, but the spirit of it is give, 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 give as much as you can, right. With stuff that you are actually knowledgeable about and, um, you know, have the chops to actually, um, share your knowledge about, um, with the intention of giving so much goodwill that eventually when you seek to quote unquote, get, you don't even have to ask. Right. You just sort of like people are like coming to you and saying, hey, can you help me with that? And keeping it for real. So like an example, of the channel would be like, hey, you know, here's how you do all these great things with SketchUp. Here's some tips and tricks on, you know, doing various things with fiberglass. Uh, here are some great ideas on setting up a small shop, et cetera, et cetera. Give, 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 give. And then the get happens when you do like an actual online course or an in-person training. Right. Um, by that point, you've given so much goodwill that folks kind of like want to support you. And that's that's the spirit of it, if that makes sense. And I'm happy to dive in there. But that's, yeah, no, 100%. that's the general idea. No, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's been me so, and John's mantra for 20 years, man. Give, yeah. Give, like, <laughs> <laughs> I know people don't see it that way, but damn it. I, I came across, I was setting up my uh, my new space here and I came across all these old print, print collateral things I have that are, you know, in a box of leftovers. And uh, there was one in there on how to make a slot train. And it was step-by-step -step mm -hmm. line drawn how to make a slot train. And I used to send that to people. If they bought a sink mold, I'd send that to them. And that was information that nobody was sharing back then. Um, but no, dude, I mean, I remember that. I, yeah. I've received that from you. I remember it well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I have a few of those still left over. But that's one of those things, like, I, I always have been an advocate for share things. Now there's some things that I feel are uniquely trade secret IP things like dusty Crete, you know, his, his technique, yes. for example, things like that. And those are things like that have intrinsic value in a sense of, you, you know, I wouldn't give those things away for free, but what you're doing 
And I think we're going to be doing a little bit more of that with Kodiak as well. We have some free tutorials up there. We want to start growing that database, showing people a lot of the things that aren't necessarily IP, but it's information that coming from a professional, somebody actually does it, is good because there's so much bad information out there from people that don't do this, that make videos. And, you know, they're well-intentioned. I don't think anybody's trying to do anything to hurt other people, but the information isn't necessarily the best for getting great results. No, this is like this, guys, this is a topic all by itself that could probably take up this whole thing. I think there's shades of gray here, right? I think, first of all, if you are someone that's sharing knowledge, you need to first look in the mirror and be honest about your with yourself about what is it that you're actually sharing? Um, are you doing it in a respectful way? Um, and are you actually <clears throat> credible enough and experienced enough to be the one sharing that knowledge, right? Like that's yeah. sort of first and foremost. Um, and then is it actually valuable? That's, that's probably obvious, but there's a lot of knowledge out there that may be accurate, but it's like, so what? Um, and so you try and find that sweet spot where it's like, Hey, I'm actually, I actually know what I'm talking about. B it's valuable. And like, it's not infringing on someone else's, um, you know, stuff that, that differentiates, differentiates them as a business, right? That's like, that's the definition of a one, one definition of a trade secret. Sure. Or something they developed, you know, I think that's the thing is if somebody develops something and, and you come to know of it through a training class or through a conversation or whatever, it's still not yours to give away. It was never yours to, to take and give away, whether you know about it or not. You know, I have a, I had a situation happen where I developed a process and somebody saw that process just as an observer, they saw the process and then they wrote an article for a national magazine on how to do the process, although they'd never done it. And they wrote an article and I was at uh, Lowe's one day and I saw the process on the cover of this national magazine. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it was from a person that I was friends with. And I I read the article and it blew my mind. And I called them up and and they're like, well, I didn't think you'd care. And I'm like, dude, that wasn't yours to take. That wasn't yours. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, that happens a lot, I think, unfortunately. I think the information age, right? So the technology that we have today, like it's, you know, there's no friction there in like, hitting record, turning on your mic and starting to share some stuff. Right. So like that doesn't help, (laughs) um, you know, back in prior years and decades, it was much harder, right. To go through that process and publish something like that. Um, but now it's just so easy that, you know, people need to pause a beat and think about what it is that they're sharing. The, The flip side to this, Brandon, um, I'll, I'll challenge you on it for just a second. And John is that, some folks are just wired to share knowledge, right? And they, and they do it with good intentions, but without thinking of the consequences of what they're doing. And I've been guilty of this for yeah, I sure. think we're all guilty of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I get, I learn something, I get so damn excited about it. I want to share it with everybody else because it's just how I'm wired. Right. And some folks will look at me like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> like, you know, and like, I didn't even think for a moment that I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's like actually something sensitive. So I think there are cases where, you know, it's coming from a good place, but I think all of us starting myself, like starting with me, I need to pause because I, Brandon, I've talked to you about some of the things I put out there. I'm like, oh, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> sure. um, we all need to pause a beat before we share. 
and like just sort of consider, and again, it comes back to just common professional courtesy and respect and things like that. That'll, that'll carry you most of the way there. I agree a hundred percent. In, in the age we're living in now, I would say information IP has the most value in what we do. And IP is, is how a lot of us feed our families. And there was a time I didn't have a family and that was a different time, but now I do. I have kids, I have a wife, you know, I have all those, those obligations and, and things I have to be responsible for. Other people do as well. You know, I think of like Dusty, Dusty, um, has his technique that he's developed and that's how he provides for his family and teaching other people those techniques is how he also provides for his family. And so if Mm -hmm. somebody comes along with the best intent, uh, and they share that information and they devalue what he's doing and they minimize his ability to do what he's developed to take care of his family. That's where I draw issue with it. Regardless of intent, there's a, a direct yeah. negative result of doing that. Uh, so that's, you know, I've always kind of been the canary in a coal mine yelling about respecting <laughs> IP and that's, that's offended some people, you know, something uh, you and I, I think it'd be a good conversation for this podcast you know, I've said this for a long time about originality exists, original ideas exist, really focus on trying to develop that part of your, your voice, your originality. And a lot of people feel because whether they're, they're inundated with information that originality doesn't exist, they read books that say it doesn't exist. They surround themselves with people that say great artists steal, whatever it is, their, their bubble is there's no such thing as originality. So they start to believe that, or it's just, they haven't experienced it yet. So because, you know, you don't know what you don't know, you don't know cold until you experience it. You don't know hot until you experience it. You don't know originality until you experience it. So if you haven't experienced it yet, it's a concept that doesn't seem feasible. And so when somebody's like, hey, you need to be focused on doing your own thing. And you're like, dude, there's no such thing as originality. Everything's derivative. Yeah. You could, you could take offense to that message. And I think you told John at some point in, in your career, you did kind of take offense to that message. Was that correct? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, so, so I think... You know, uh, just not to interrupt you, but no, just go to ahead. kind of jump in here and like continue to stare this out. I think some folks, myself uh, included, you know, the flip side of that coin is where do you draw the line, right? And um, I also think it it's, it's a matter of perspective of where you are in your development as an artisan. I'll take exactly. myself for example. I can't I can't speak for other people, but I'll give you a little glimpse into my arc. You know, when I got started, I learned all these things. I took training from Buddy. I took multiple classes from you. I took training from Tommy Teagan. <laughs> uh, you know, multiple workshops with Cody Carpenter, and you you learn all these things, and then you try and find your way a little bit. And there's another movie out here. I'm going to bastardize. I can't even remember the name of it right now. But like sometimes when we're getting started. We need to emulate what we see in order to find our own voice. And there's a there's some gray area there where it's like it's okay to do that, but like don't take it so far and like hey claim that's like an original work. I think exactly. You know, so in my case, exactly yeah yeah I so I, I copied some work from a fellow artist. I'm not going to name any of these folks out of respect, right? Because um, I don't think that they want to be named. <laughs> But, you know, we know who they are. So I did a fireplace surround. I went to him. I asked him if I could copy the design. He gave me the the thing. I changed the design. So that's another thing, right? It's like if you're going to copy something, try and do put your own stamp yeah, on it. Yeah, tell your own spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You know, so that that then it becomes truly inspired. And then cite the work, just like you would if you were writing something, right? Like, hey, this design was, you know, originally from so-and-so or inspired by X, right? 
Whereas if you claim it as original work, I think that's like one of those lines that you probably cross. That's like no bueno. 100%. Um, but there's this reality guys that I think folks like me when you're, cause I'm not a great designer. I like, I'm, I'm just not like, I, I know what great design looks like and I know what I like. Um, but like, I don't necessarily come up with that on my own. I need some inspiration first. And I, and there's some people in this craft that you get, you guys are two of them. And then there's some others that are very obvious that are massively inspirational to me. And I started by copying those works. Right. So like, you know, there's a bench out there that we all made in one of these workshops. That's just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And like the first thing I did when I got back to my shop was I like <laughs> made that damn thing again. I never took it anywhere. I never sold it as my own, but like I, you know, in that it actually triggered some other things that were original works. So I think that's kind of like one of those ways where you can, you can do that and be respectful about it. But, um, you know, there's, you have to, again, come back to like professional courtesy, you know, res, you know, being very respectful over actual original work. Dude, I and that's agree. the hard part. Well, so I was going to say, I agree a thousand percent with the way you learn. I think everybody learns by doing that is you, you're inspired. You got into this industry for some reason. Most people get into it because they saw something that they loved, <laughs> a sink or whatever it is. And they're like, man, that's awesome. And so they get into it. So they're inspired. And that's the most logical natural way to learn is to to make the things that you saw that inspired you that you loved you're right i where i draw issue is when people take that and then claim it and yep. um and you know it's the concrete world but it's all industries i have a buddy tom jones who's a woodworker his stuff gets ripped off left and right from from people and they claim it they claim his stuff as their own that's the problem. So it's not, it's not the learning aspect. I get the learning aspect and I have no problem. People have reached out to me, um, over the years and said, Hey, I love your erosion sink. Is it cool if I make it? Absolutely. But do me a favor. Don't post on your social media and, and claim yeah. it, but make it for yourself. Make it, if you have a client, that's fine. I don't care. But the problem is when they start saying like, you know, con contact us for your concrete erosion sink. And I'm like, ah, yeah. dude, like that's not cool. That's not cool. Yeah. So that's the line. Well, that's that gets crossed. Yeah, go ahead, John. Sorry, I'm, I was going to say that that's just right or wrong. <clears throat> We're all human. And, and part of that human aspect is whether we want to agree to it or not is, is ego. And Sean, you and I talked about this. I think one of the really hard parts with a lot of us as we is, as you referred to, is the self-awareness, you know? Yeah. And that's hard. And, and, I'm not, I'm not giving anybody a pass on that, but most of the time, that's where all of this gets tripped up, whether we're talking about a specific concrete or, you know, or what I'm into, the chemistry, the building blocks, so forth and so on. Because like what you're saying, I mean, I love to share. Brandon, well, let's see. I tell John to shut up. John time. calls yeah, our competitors right? <laughs> and just starts talking about, oh my God, you know, I, I, I figured out this <laughs> this tertiary reaction that happens. I'm like, Dude, shut up. up. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, John. No, shut up. <laughs> or, I mean, and this goes all the way back to blue concrete where, where Jeremy and the guys who used to chastise me all the time, and they would bring other people out. Like, literally, although I've known Joe Bates forever, I'll never forget when they brought Joe Bates out. He was going to instruct people on how to do ICT, obviously not because I don't know how to apply the material. I've been doing it all the time, but I know so much about it and I want to share so much about it that all the secrets end up on the table. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As I'm walking through at it. So 
I get it, man. And, and it's, it's a, it's a line we all walk. And sometimes that is many times, in fact, come back and bit me in the butt tremendously as people have, you know, pulled the wool out or the rugs out from under me, but you know, we can't change who we are. And I love to share as well. Yeah, I think, uh, so Brandon, you mentioned something early on that really hits home. It's like, you know, it becomes clearer when it happens to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for that to happen, you have to have been doing it for a little while, right? Like in my first, I don't know, five, seven years, I didn't make anything that anybody wanted to copy anyways, right? So like I wasn't, you know, I'm just like blissfully going through the whole thing. And then lo and behold, I actually, (laughs) I don't know, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? So like I actually made some shit that was pretty cool. Um, But luckily, like, and I, I had people contact me about it and asking me if like they could like, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute, that's like a new experience. I never thought about that before. And it was cool because they asked me, but in thinking about that, I kind of would have been a bit upset, if you will, if they had just gone and done that. And the next thing I know, I'm seeing it, you know. Right. Or on Etsy, they have a store with your design. You're like, what? Dude, we were friends. We hung out. Like, what are you doing? And what? There's no such thing as originality. And you're like, dude. Dude, come on. Let's not do this. Here's here, let me let me challenge you guys with this though. Right. I'll, I'll give you an example of one that I ran into that was a bummer for me on the side of like, fuck, I had that idea and somebody else like beat me to it. So um, uh, many folks listening is probably are well, maybe many are familiar. Maybe a lot of people aren't familiar, but there's like those two part fireball molds that you make, right? That they're like they're a bowl, and then you have to like cast it in multiple pieces, and then mend it together with the top. There's really no other way to, to make that. Yeah. Um, they, they look fantastic. Right. And I learned it long ago. I think I learned it from Tommy. It might've been someone else, a Canadian, I'm not going to mention because <laughs> again, I don't think he wants to, uh, but anyways, I learned the technique and you know, it's this, this process, whatever. It's really cool. Well, what will not like for folks who have been trained in fabric forming, you will naturally gravitate to, dude, I could make a fabric formed version of that, right? Like that would be awesome. And like talk about forming function, it would look incredible. And by the way, the way it dives into the basin would be functional in that there would be more separation from the flame. Like this is just, inc- like, like I got this amazing idea. And like, I was so excited about it. I did it in SketchUp. There, if Brandon, if you remember, there's this plugin called Curveloff that helps uh-huh. you like, model fabric. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I modeled it up and I sent it to Jeremy French, like way back in the day. That was like, your first mistake. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> so, I told Jeremy, I told, uh, before you tell, I just want to tell a quick story. I, I invented a way of, of casting concrete, right? And I told Jeremy about it and I said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He's like, all right. Literally an hour later, Joe Bates calls me up. He's like, hey man, I was just talking to Jeremy. He told me all about this new technique. And I'm like, what? What? He's like, yeah, man. I'm like, oh God. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. No, so it's like it was it was all good, and Jeremy's like, "Wow, shit, that looks pretty cool." Um, but anyways, I, I'm definitely not uh, Jeremy's fault. But like, I'm scrolling through Instagram randomly, probably what six months ago, and there's this company. Have you guys heard of LumaCast? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they make some amazing shit. Those yeah. guys are ballers. Yeah, for sure. Well, sure as shit. What do I see there? I see a fireball with a it's not fabric form they i i asked them about it they actually do it via cnc but you can picture what it looks like right it's like this very soft beautiful sweep into the basin and 
the thing they actually have a design patent on it. Huh? Crazy. Huh? And I was like, and I'll send you guys the link here in a second. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, and so, so my point guys, I'm belaboring this a little bit, but my point is like, that's a legitimate area where someone like me, like I felt like I had this great idea and I wasn't going to go out and try and like protect it or anything. I just wanted to do it. Like, and then I see that and I'm like, what, can I like not do that now? You know, and that's yeah. where I think that's an example of something that rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, is like, shit, man, I had that idea too. Someone else, you know, protected it. Now, like if I were to go do it, I got to, what, like I can't, or I got to cite them or like, so that's like the, the dilemma. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here. I'm just saying like, that's an example of something that I experienced firsthand. Well, and that's, that's interesting. It's interesting. They patented that as well. Um, because the thing about design is you don't have, I mean, you can patent it. It adds an extra layer of protection, but you don't have to patent it. And it, it, if you don't patent it, cause we have a attorney as a third partner, uh, Andrew, and we've had these discussions with him. If you don't patent it, you can still, if you can prove that you originated the idea, you can still take it to court and defend it and um, sue for damages and blah, blah, blah. But the whole thing with any of that, including patents, is you have to be willing to defend the patent. And so right. if you cast it, is Lumicast going to come after you? Maybe, but it's going to cost them a ton of money. So I think a lot of the things are just trying to put like a warning flag in the it's ground to deterrence. scare people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, we, I talked about this on a, past podcast a while back, but I had an idea for a tile design and I, I legitimately do not look at tile inspiration stuff. My wife used to work in a tile world. I don't look at that stuff. I don't go to tile trade shows. I don't look at tile magazines. I try to stay away from all that. And I had this idea for a tile design and I rendered it in SketchUp and I showed it to my wife and I was really excited about it. I showed it to her and she's like, it's already been done. I was like, what do you mean it's been done? Hmm. Nobody's done this. It was three-dimensional. And uh, she, she cited the company. It's like some Italian company. And I pulled up their website, and sure enough, they did the exact same one. And at that point, mm -hmm. you have a choice to make. I could still dig my heels in the ground and say, this is still my idea. I came up with this. But the fact that somebody's already done it, once you become aware of it, then that falls back on the person to decide, do you just scrap it and move on? Do you modify it? Do you, you, know, you take it to the next level? Uh, for me personally, once I was aware that somebody had done it, I was like, all right, uh, you know, I, I'm going to do something different. And I just scrapped the idea entirely. Yeah. And so You're same thing. pretty bummed about that though, right? <laughs> for a minute, for a minute. But, you know, it's just this life. Yeah. But, you know, uh, the erosion sink is something that it, it's, it's something a lot of people say, you know, I had that idea. It's kind of like what, what you're saying. You know, I had that idea. Somebody said they had the idea in architecture school like in 1995, Great, you had the idea, but you didn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't yep. do it. So somebody else did it, and at that point, you have to decide. Even if you thought about it, even if you had the idea, you didn't execute the idea. So at that point, you just have to kind of say, in my opinion, you just have to say, all right, well, that ship sailed. and That's kind of what I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, on to the next one, for sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's, you know, it's definitely something that... Um, it's tough if you put a lot of time and energy into it, especially if you went through it, had you had cast it, had you gone through the process of building the molds and doing the whole thing and you get it all done, you publish a photo and somebody's like, oh, bro, LumaCast is making that exact same thing. You're like, That's oh, right. yeah. shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're getting a, yeah. something at the, a knock on the door with a... That's right. <laughs> a summons. <laughs> you right? Nope. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Who are you talking about? What are your thoughts, John? You, we haven't even let you say anything yet. Uh, no, I'm just sitting here listening, man. I mean, you know, I mean, everything you guys talk about, 
I shouldn't say it's different because, you know, Sean, you've done, you've been working in the, um, what the computer end for a long period of time. So I think so much of this conversation transcends more than just, you know, erosion sinks or the, you know, the cool, and I don't even know what you're calling it. Is it, is it a lamp? Is it a light? Well, like, it's a fire pit. What are you talking really, about? Oh, his, his design that he came up with. Yeah. The one thing uh, that you've been working on. Yeah. Yeah, I probably need to like get sharper on that. Like it's a feature do, element. Do you have a name for it? What are you calling it? No. <laughs> Bright light? <laughs> it's just this sh- this stupid thing. I mean, so for folks listening, there is this, and Brandon, I know you know this pretty well. John, you may know too. Um, but Japanese are uh, very well renowned for joinery, um, particularly fastener-free joinery, right? Yep. And cool. if you want to be a, inspired, just Google Japanese joinery and your mind will start running. Anyways, Kanawasugi uh, is one uh, form of Japanese joinery. And it's, uh, I think it's used a lot in timber beam framing where you've got long beams coming together and you need to join them together in a way that, but that you can still disassemble it as well, which is the form function of this joint. And I just randomly ran across this form of joinery and I was just like totally enamored. And again, here's an example of where I was actually inspired by another gentleman we know very well, used to be in Arizona. He's now elsewhere where joinery is like his thing, like celebrate the seam to the extreme, right? Mm. So I, I took my learnings from him, kind of found my own path. I randomly landed on this this form of joinery. I think in uh, the West, it's called a cogged scarf joint, if I recall correctly. and. Um, and I said, wow, it'd be really cool to make some things that like, first of all, just like celebrate that design, but also there's some function to it, right? And so with a lamp, like it would be great to be able to actually get inside of the lamp to like change the bulb yeah. <laughs> and, you know, wire it and service things. And so that's, it's like, a, right now it's my KT lamp, John, for okay. um, Kanawasugi, um, but uh, that's kind of the little backstory to it and i like i went so many rounds on trying to figure out how to make this thing and cast it and i finally landed on one that uh a mold that's um a matrix mold so it's like a a rubber sock with a fiberglass shell um that allows you to cast it you know in one piece and it's got the undercuts and you can peel the rubber sock off and then you know do the whole thing Um, and these are some of the steps not necessarily the the lamp itself but these are some of the steps you've been showing as part of your youtube stuff right because i know I've, I've watched a few of them and now for me personally i recognize some of the shapes but mm-hmm. as you're but that's where you you're showing the uh, rubber mold and the fiberglass yeah, yeah. and so forth and so yeah, yeah. on yeah. yeah yeah so there's that yeah great call out john so there's a build there right that's like the sharing the secrets part of it like or teasers, if you will, like, hey, here's here's the what. Want to learn more? Like, sign up for the how. That kind of thing, right? And, and I'll, I'll take folks through the process. Not necessarily making that thing, but like, how do you make a fiberglass mold? How do you make a two-part fiberglass mold? How do you make a matrix mold that incorporates rubber and you know all those kinds of things, right? That yeah. be the the implementation of the secrets. Love it. Cool, you should hear huh? John try to do Japanese pronunciation. <laughs> it's so good no it's not hey john what was what was that thing where you make the ball out of concrete and you make it perfect what's that called uh, I'm, just, I'm just gonna leave it there man. <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it there we did a podcast where he spent about 10 minutes trying to pronounce it and it was awesome 
I loved it. I'm terrible with that stuff. <laughs> I am. I'm horrible. With You're it. horrible with English. You're worse with Japanese, bro. After he got the mic working, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And my and my earpods. I think the whole IP thing and originality and, and sharing stuff is all an interesting conversation. Something that we've probably beat to death um, as far as the conversation, yeah. but it's it's still an important one. I think that people new to the podcast haven't listened to the past ones and they'll find some interest in that, but something that you've really focused on as a artisan, as a concrete maker is trying to create less friction of the process, create an easier flow. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh my God, guys, this is near and dear to me. I'm glad you brought it up, Brandon. So first of all, if, if you will indulge me, I'm going to kind of set some context for this. Um, So it would be, natural for folks to think of flow and think of workflow or shop flow is the same thing. And they're not, um, flow is like a state of being state of operating, right? Um, workflow and shop flow feed into that. But, um, if we start first with the why, right, it's, um, and actually I'm going to go a little deep here. So guys pull me back up. Um, I'm 53 now. And, uh, I recently sort of took stock of life. You know, when you get to my age, you start thinking about things. And the first thing you think about is like, holy shit, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that naturally leads to like, what am I like, what am I doing? Like, what's my, what's my purpose? What's important to me? Like, I don't necessarily want to say legacy, but like, what do I want? Like, what do I want out of life? Right. And like at a very generic level, um, guys, I want a life of optimal experiences, um, fueled by or realized by, uh, peak performance. Um, and flow is a means to that operating in a state of flow is a means to that. And if flow flow state or operating in flow sounds weird, a, a lot of listeners might, um, think more of like being in the zone. Right. So like athletes talk about being in the zone. You guys, I'm sure have been in the zone when you walk into your shop and everything just fucking works. Right. You walk in there with a cut list. You cut your mold parts out. Perfect. You don't miscut anything. There's no waste. The drops that you have, you've got a bin to store those things like you just like everything just works. Right. Um, And so. For the longest time. I like you recognize that like when you watch sports, you're like, God, that guy's in the zone. He can't miss or like the game slows down for him. And you think of it as like this just magical thing that like you sometimes experience most of the time you don't. And like it just sort of happens on its own. Well, neuroscientists believe that you can actually and the studies have proven this, that you can actually force flow to happen. Hmm. Right. And it's this whole way of like architecting your life. And I was like. I want me some of that, right? Like I want, you know, I'm I'm getting older. I'm tired of like friction in my life. I want to just operate in flow. And there's a whole bunch of things like they've done through their studies of the brain when people are in flow and there's all these patterns. And so they've kind of come up with this uh, sort of program for doing that. And I like bought into it, hook, like and sinker. And one of the pieces of it Brandon, you, you described it is eliminating friction and I'll, I'll qualify that even more ruthlessly, (laughs) ruthlessly eliminate friction in your life. And there's probably a lot of things that pop up for you guys. There's probably a lot of things that pop up for the listeners that they're like, 
yeah, man, I need to get rid of that shit. Um, and if you sit down and really think about it, there's a lot of things in the precast process that you might be doing that you should just fricking eliminate. And so the, the first step of this is they'll say, optimize late. Don't, don't optimize early when you're like thinking through how to redo things, because what happens is, or the trap you can fall into is you optimize for the wrong things. Right. And like when you should instead be just eliminating those things, <clears throat> Brandon, I'll mention one to you that I'm sure resonates. John, I don't know if you do installs either, but like rather like a lot of people optimize for installs. Right. You get you get all these cards. You got this Omni card, the King card, like this thing and that thing. And you got lifting devices and like transport devices and you like figure out how to staff up. Oh, yeah, I don't want trailer. To yeah, yeah. yeah. You got all this yeah. shit. Right. Yeah. Or you just eliminate installs. <laughs> that's all there is to like, it. You just eliminate install. And that's like, wait a minute. Now, like, I just eliminate that. And like, that's, I, I get it. Like, each, every, every uh, business out there is different. And like, installs are important to a lot of businesses, et cetera. For me, it's been like one of the biggest sources of friction ever, especially doing it as a secondary business. Right. Because if you think about it, like I'm doing this primary thing, which is like, I'm, you know, doing high tech and being with geeks and all that stuff. And then if I miss an install window, it's not like I just go the next day. It could be a week or longer. So, you know, when you. Well, I think a lot of that, too, is as part of the friction, although we focused on carts and trailers and, you know. It's the emotional baggage too. The stress. I mean, there's a I lot of people. Stress. Yeah, a million percent, John. Yeah, right. you dread it. You because, dread that day. And I know coming. we're just talking installs, but yeah, I mean, you know, part of the loss of that friction is with we've discussed this a lot. Is you got to let that go. I mean, you although yes, we made it, so there's always that oh, a piece of my soul. Well, that's that's true and all, but. You got to let that go. You got to let that go. And and I've gotten much better at that one. And this is a, a message, although now we're talking about it as flow. This is a message that we've been beat up quite a bit about since Brandon and I came out with Kodiak is a big part of what we're describing from a shop environment takes you from the materials through the casting and being profitable and turning this into a business that's profitable. Just what you're talking right there, man. At the end of the day, if someone really added up their omni carts and their trailers and their graphs and hooks and whatever it took, the forklift and da 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 da, added all that up and said, hey, and I don't know, pick a number. We charge a thousand dollars for install. Man, you got to do about fifty installs before you break even. <laughs> you know what I mean? Versus getting the contractor or whomever like they would when they ordered windows and have an installer get that done. Who's geared for that. Or you build your business around products that don't require that type of installation. Like if you don't do countertops, if you're doing fire pits like Lumicast or you're doing something of that nature, you can put it in a crate and you can ship it to them. And there's not an yeah. expectation of installation. So you eliminate that from the process entirely just through the product you're manufacturing. That's another way you can do it. Right. But anyways, Go ahead, Sean, because this is really interesting. No, bullseye. So both of you, bullseye. So then play it out, guys, right? People will architect their process around making pieces lighter so that installs are easier, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if you don't have to, like, install? <laughs> there, then it opens up possibilities for how you actually, like, cast those pieces, 
right? You don't have to make the thinnest damn thing in the world. And guess what? The biggest source of friction I've ever experienced in this thing over the past 15 years is fucking spraying GFRC. <laughs> like <laughs> that whole process yeah. of batching up a face coat, filling up a hopper, spraying your face coat, rolling it out, like cleaning up the hopper, letting the face coat set up, putting your scratch coat on, blah, 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 blah. If you want like the poster child for friction, GFRC, traditional GFRC is it. Yeah. Yeah. Try, and, and then batching to... out 50 buckets. I remember just lines of buckets in my shop of sand and Medicalin and silica fume and Portland and liquid yeah. polymer and water and ice and just bucket, just lines of buckets, yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you like actually figure out a way to eliminate that, and then you say, hey, my go-to is gonna be direct cast, right? Just as an example. There's like a lot of different ways to direct cast. So I've just eliminated another bunch of friction because first of all, I've kind of eliminated installs from my equation. I can cast things, you know, maybe heavier where I, it allows me to direct cast up. Well, that eliminates that whole GFRC thing. And you know what, like there's like, now I've eliminated different mixed designs out of the equation too. So there's like, let me back up a step guys. There's this, there's this big step of elimination in this process that you go through for that these, it's called the Flow Research Collective, by the way, for the listeners. If you wanna like learn more about this, go check out Flow Research Collective. And I don't know, Brandon, maybe I can send you guys the link and you can post it somehow. For sure. Um, but, yeah. but this is where I, I learned this stuff. And, um, there's a whole bunch of things that you go through in this program. Elimination is the one that I am on right now. And it's what led me to um, seeking a bag mix out, right? Mm -hmm. um, think of the friction in scratch mixes. Right? Or not even, I mean, I, I see where you're going. I want you to continue it, but not even bad, not even uh, scratch mixes, but you know, the previous Buddy Rhodes iteration when John was originally with Blue was they had an ECC mix, they had a Craftsman mix, they had a GFRC mix. They had all these different mixes. And if you were a concrete shop, you'd have to stock all these different products. Yes. And yeah, yes. that was something when me and John were doing Kodiak, we wanted exactly what we were talking about, eliminate all the stuff and distill it down to the essential things that you need and nothing else and get rid That's of everything it. else. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon, so what you're describing is actually two two parts of this. So they break down elimination. Actually, there's, th there's three things. So eliminating activities that aren't high value to you. Opening a bag of sand and measuring it out is not a high value thing to <laughs> yeah, me right. in the overall scheme of life. It well, just some people, isn't. they have nothing else to do, and so, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's their day. Get to my age, and then, and then let's talk. Or right? just and make and little like, squares all day. Uh, you just make little it's squares, cool. then, you know, you got time to batch sand. Who cares? Just do it. Yeah. 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 Totally. So you go through this process of, of like, you know, it's, it's a prioritization process. What do you value in life? Right. And then you ruthlessly eliminate everything else. So there's activities, then there's decisions. And this one was like an eye opener for me, because when you're describing those different mix designs, right, there's probably, I don't know how many different mix designs, like, and I'm guilty of, and I'm, I'm speaking to folks because I have gone through all of this. Right when you learn, which I'm a sponge for learning, a, a, a sort of side effect of learning is you learn a whole bunch of different ways to do things. You learn a whole bunch of different mix designs, and 
processes for casting and of course sealing as well. And we'll get to that, yeah. right? That like talk about friction. Um, but they talk about eliminating decisions because if you think about it, and I, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, how many decisions you make in life, right? Like if you can eliminate the, the decisions that you make that you need to make that are low in value, what it does is it frees up your cognitive space. Your co There's this like, you guys have probably heard of this. There's this theory on cognitive load, which is like how much your brain can handle, right? And researchers say that like, when you fill up cognitive loads, it's not like you could take on more stuff. And so if you're filling it with bad shit, with stupid stuff, then you have no space for the good stuff, which Brandon, to your point, might be design. Right, because you're thinking about like, oh, I gotta go pick up like ninety Lowe's. mesh sand I gotta from go to like Depot. this fucking supplier over yeah. there. I gotta go to Whitecap. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you eliminate decisions too, and like some of the examples like that are famous out there. Like Steve Jobs was notorious for like wearing the same thing every day. He decided to eliminate decisions in the morning of like what to wear like and you always just wore a black shirt mm -hmm. right like these successful people take it to that extreme so back to like what's relevant here if you can like eliminate the decision making in your precast process and you have one way to do it do it right now think just like in this conversation in the last 10 minutes all of the things that we've eliminated yeah. And like there's and, and so I went I've been going through this and I'm like, oh, my God, like I am not going to do another thing until I thoroughly go through this process of elimination, being honest with myself about what's important to me and what's not, because ego gets in the way mm -hmm. for sure. And also investment gets in the way. Right. Like I've invested in a ton of shit that I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to throw all that shit away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tools and equipment. And you yeah, went down yeah. that road. Yeah. And now, you're you know, it's. What's that called? It's got a it's got a name. It's not vested interest, but there's a name like when when it's like an emotional sort of an, there's an emotional tie to it, right? I think it comes from like it's a blow to your ego to invest in something and then recognize that like that was a bad investment. I can't remember the name of it, but like yeah, but yeah, you just dig your heels in. You're just like you know, come hell yeah. or high water, I'm just going to keep going down this path yeah. because I spent the money on yep. it. And I can't, right. yeah. I can't reconcile that, that I, that item or whatever it is now is sitting on your shelf and it's been sitting there for eight years <laughs> and you still haven't used it. Yeah. Um, and you keep, <clears throat> I have one of those actually, now that you brought it up. Remember, I, I think I've talked about this way back when, when I was really getting into, um, the cellulose fibers, right? I think I told yep. you guys about this anyway, you know, working with those guys anyway, it comes in a puck because they basically like a big piece of cellulose paper that they cut into pucks. And well, they throw it into the concrete trucks and it tumbles for an hour while they're driving. Right. Yeah. But I couldn't get them to work in our, our kind of mixes because they're too loose and there's not big enough aggregate. There's just not enough to break them up. So I built this whole thing with them uh, before they sold the company to Solomon actually. And <laughs> just a big grinder, right? Like a blender. It's still, <laughs> it's still sitting out there yeah. on my patio. I see it every. It's it's been sitting there for 15 years, still on the same pallet, same wrap with three quarter inch plywood, and I just can't get myself to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Buck an emotional up. attachment to it. And then what's worse is if you've somehow optimized 
some process around that, right? That's where the, again, com- coming back to that idea of like eliminate first, then optimize. Mm-hmm. Because like, let's, let's say uh, an example that might resonate with folks is like, let's say I, I had this idea of like having these like hopper things because I'm a solo shop and um, uh, I don't want to say what I was, that'd be politically incorrect. I'm, I'm a wimp these days, let's put it that way. And I don't want to lift shit anymore. So I had this idea of like hoppers and you could like open it up and like one would shoot out sand and the other one would shoot out cement and right, like you just- Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, we've yeah. all had that thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've always had this Rube and, Goldberg idea of how I want to batch and yeah, same thing. I have to get yeah. up there and load it, but then I could just open it up and I have like a terror scale right. and I can just, yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, but then you find like, holy shit, I would have been optimizing for the wrong thing, mm-hmm. right? Like. And, and like you can think about lots of things. I'm sure you guys have done it. I've done it. I'm guessing listeners have done it. You like come up with all these crazy ways like, oh, I've got this thing that I never use, but let me like figure out how to store it in an optimal way so I can like what the fuck? That's my whole shop, bro. My whole shop is a, a fucking three-dimensional puzzle of stuff I don't use, but I got to store it because someday I might use it. But it all yeah. just fits perfectly. Just, just every little nook and cranny. Yeah. There's something like fit. Tetris. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Like Tetris. Yeah. In there. yeah, yeah. So then, so then you go. So there's there's activities, there's decisions, and then sort of associated with those, Brandon is and John is friction, right? Yeah. So there might be activities that are high value, but there's friction in those activities. How can you ruthlessly eliminate the friction in those activities? Um, and it's the the ones that are particularly high priority are what they call systemic friction. It's the ones you do over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. like an example in our everyday world, forget concrete for a second, is the TV remote control, right? And you, this, this will probably, like a lot of people should laugh about this. Like I'm a pretty techie guy. When we moved here, like I like packed the universal remote in a box somewhere and I couldn't find it. And I said, fuck it, whatever, I'll find it later. You guys, for the past 10 fucking years, I've been using four remotes to turn on my TV, the AV receiver, (laughs) the DVR, right? And I do it every day. I, I, and and it like, and the wife's talking to me, I'm like, yeah, I'll find it in that box one of these days, right? And finally, like it actually triggered me Cause like I'd fallen into this habit of doing this, right. Where it's like, you know, I know it's not optimal, but I just keep doing it. I just keep doing it. I just keep doing it. And then finally, uh, my wife and daughter were trying to watch something and they couldn't like you guys, it's 2023 and they couldn't figure out how to turn on the TV to watch something. <laughs> and, uh, where it finally triggered me was like, I was in the middle of doing something. I think I was recording something. So I need like quiet and like, you know, the whole, my, you know, again, my flow and the whole bit, and they interrupted me to like turn on the fucking TV. And I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe we've been going this long. And that's an example of systemic friction. It's like death by paper cuts. Yep. And I would imagine folks back in the precast world can identify all kinds of systemic friction throughout your process. Eliminate it. Like whatever it is, eliminate it. Um, one for me that uh, you guys might have different thoughts on is I don't do a lot of volume and I've never been particularly good at getting pictures of my work, especially after it's been installed because usually I'm late. Usually it's all fucked up and I just want to get out of there. 
right? Yep. And uh, and so if you were to like look at my concrete movement website, which is like sort of become a secondary business, like I don't have a whole lot of pictures out there. It's like embarrassing. So that that's a form of like systemic friction where like what if I had in process of my actual shop ready to go the ability to at least take studio photos. And by the way, photography is something where it's like, you don't just take pictures, right? There's like, there's actually a lot that goes into photography. Um, but you know, and it takes quite an investment, uh, to, to do it right. And I've made that investment, but like picture a world where like before, you know, you, the piece that you made after it's sealed, but before it gets created up or before it goes on the trailer or whatever it is, like in flow, you had a way to like roll out a tripod that had a quality camera on it. You had a backdrop in place where you could at least take a studio studio foot, uh, photo of that. And it was like effortless. That's the idea of removing systemic friction from that. That can be a benefit. So there's like, it's, it's like seemingly a little example, but that little thing right there has like permeated everything I'm doing. Um, and I know I'm kind of digressing and like going off on weird tangents here, but this is something that's so important to me. And I think a lot of people could benefit from it because they just go through their states in an unoptimized way. And the next thing you know, you're like, shit, like I could have been doing things different for a long time and had a much more optimal experience in life. That's, that's what flow is to me. And that's, that's, it's more than just shop flow and, and workflow. I don't know. I love I that. Know. It's life flow. Yeah, yeah, it's life. I mean, you know, yeah. and this is something we've been, <clears throat> again, probably beating the horse till it's dead, dead and completely dying. But everything you're describing is then boils, besides the idea that like with your daughter playing volleyball, well, I'm saying that because you, you've been doing a lot of pictures and stuff where they're doing volleyball. You want to go spend time doing other things. So if I can optimize yes. the, the, again, let's say the flow and what I'm doing, I'm off doing something else. But then the other side of it is from a business side of it, everything you're discussing right here, even down to what you just described about taking photos, how many of us skip all that and it ends up in incredible frustration physically, emotionally, time, you were, you know, you sit, I'm going to go back, you know, then it's too late. Then you're calling the yep. home, homeowner. I mean, it's just, all of this can be eliminated because all of that then is detracting from your true profitability in your business because you're spinning your wheels doing all these other things and you're not truly focused or, you know, following the flow in the creation and building what you really want to be building. Yeah. 100%. We're all guilty of it. Well, and I'll, I'll offer you guys, uh, sorry, Brandon, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, the, what, the whole time you were talking, I was thinking about what John and I, cause I've been doing this right at 20 years. It's my 20, 20 year anniversary of doing this, 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 uh, January, it'd be 20 years, January. And John's been doing it for about the same amount of time. And at 20 years of doing this, Every day, and when I started this 20 years ago, I didn't think I'd be doing it 20 years later. Like I never anticipated this would become <laughs> yeah. my my life. I thought it'd be a waypoint to the next thing. I'd spend a few years doing it. I'd learn something. I'd go to the next thing. And 20 years later, I'm still doing it. I still love it. And I'm still finding a lot of things that I'm interested in and, and learning. But my point is, for 20 years, I've been doing this. For 20 years, John's been doing this. And there's been a lot of friction for 20 years from everything, mm -hmm. from melamine to getting bags of this to batching 
to how we cast with the GFRC to installing all these things. And I've been, without knowing it, I've been doing a lot of things you were discussing of trying to eliminate all these different things. And when Kodiak came about, that was really, honestly, our biggest focus was how do we eliminate all of, I wouldn't call it bullshit, but a lot of it is bullshit. How do we eliminate all the bullshit that people don't really need, but people selling a product want you to think you need. So you buy this and you buy that and you can, Hey, you need to get this too. Oh, you want to do that? We'll get a different bag for that. You got to buy this. How do we eliminate that? Because it doesn't serve the customer. It doesn't serve us because now we have to have five different bags printed and we have to print 20,000 bags. We need to store these. We need to blend different formulations. And realistically, the formulations are nearly identical. Um, It's just a marketing ploy. So eliminating distilling down to the essence and doing that with the products, doing that with the sealer. You know, you'll look at our competitors and they'll have 10 different sealers and 10 different plasticizers and you don't need that stuff. They want you to think yeah. you do. Oh, that didn't work. We'll try this one. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, we got, we got, you know, pick, pick one, pick anyone, just throw a dart at the wall. We got a sealer over there. Just use that one. But if you use the right things and use them correctly, you don't need all that stuff. And it's one of those things that, you know, and the older I get too, quality becomes more and more and more important to me. I can't afford to buy cheap things in a sense of cheaply made or or whatever. So it's buy once, cry once. When I buy a tool, I buy the best tool possible. When I was younger, I had a different mindset. (laughs) I was looking for the lowest price, you know, and now it's like, I don't want to buy that thing five times. I want to buy it one time. Friction, 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 distilling things down to their essence. You know, you're going to talk a little bit about sealer being a friction point, which I think is interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize how big of a problem that Mm -hmm. is for our industry. You know, Dusty almost went out of business because of sealer. Like he almost closed, not not went out of business because of callbacks, but because of frustration and the stress on him. He didn't want to deal with it anymore. He's like, I'm done doing this hamster wheel of this peeled off, that scratched, you know, whatever it was. He was just sick of it and almost closed shop. And a lot of people, there was a time, uh, there was a sealer called EAP that, um, <laughs> that nearly bankrupted the entire industry. It bankrupted a lot of companies, but it nearly bankrupted the entire industry as a whole, that one sealer due to the, yeah. the failures. So uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts man, on that. Man, it looked good. God damn, it looked oh, good. Oh, dude, it was, uh, it was like Teflon. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. I, I did these tables for this restaurant in uh, Boulder, and they were like, I don't know, 14 foot or 16 foot white tables. And you could take... Uh, a beer bottle or whatever, a Coke can, and just barely push it. And it would slide the whole length, you know, just like it was on ball bearings. It was so slick and smooth. But when it failed, it was catastrophic. And when it failed because a middleman was diluting it with solvent, that's ultimately what killed that sealer, was a middleman got greedy and was diluting it with solvent and selling it to all of us as full strength. And unbeknownst to us, we were applying you know, sealer that was cut. Well, and then you cut it more, right? Exactly. Because you're following the directions. Oh, you got to add 30% (laughs) denatured alcohol and you got to do this and you you know, so yeah, it's probably 90% solvent, 10% sealer when it's all said and done because agreed. But that, the the whole sealer thing, it's just one of these things that people, you know, there's sealer wars and there's tribal mentality of it and brand loyalty, personality, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest friction points of this industry. More than anything else is sealer. Yeah. Let me uh, give me two seconds to like tie a bow on the the thing that Please. you previously talked yeah, about because I wanted to um, sure. add a couple of points because I again I'm like the poster child of doing a lot of this stuff is let, let me be the um, 
the devil's advocate when it comes to bag mixes, because I went through this, like, and I first fell into the ignorant trap of thinking pricing, right? Objecting to oh, it yeah. because of pricing. And if anyone stops for just a few minutes and does the actual math, like, you'd be a fool to come out and think that pricing is like favorable for doing a scratch mix. You have to put even just a modest amount of value on your time. Uh, and if you do that, like it's just it, the, like the numbers just flat up don't add up. The only way they add up is if you are like some of the biggest shops and you're doing a tremendous amount of volume, then, then maybe, right? Actually the but opposite. For, the, the biggest shops see the most return on well, using a pre-blended mix. Yeah. yeah. Even, yeah. So like, there's no math that I could come up with. Like one of the best mixes, I, and, and this is quality side, right? So like one of the best mixes I've used is again, our friend that used to be down in Arizona. Like you pick that stuff up and it's just heavier. <laughs> like, like people, the guys that are listening to this, know they know what I'm talking about. Like it, it felt like it weighed twice as much as like a normal scratch mix. Right. Well, for me to like actually source that mix, I had to go to no less than three suppliers in my, in, this, in my area. And I was like, that's a whole day of just like yeah. getting these different grades of sand and like the cement and same thing happened with rapid set. So like I had jumped on that wagon like many years ago and there was that initial sort of like, oh my gosh, I can like cast something and then unmold it an hour later. And it's like, all right, what do I fucking do now? <laughs> like, so what? Right? Like I'm not making like 10,000 things where that's like yeah. beneficial to me. It was just yeah. that like, but, but then like uh rapid set, the hydraulic cement, right? The purple bag, like, that's hard to come by now too. Like, um, yeah. it went from being local to then I'd have to drive probably what an hour and a half away to get it to now. I don't even know if you can like get it in Santa Rosa, which is John, you know, where Santa Rosa is. It's mm -hmm. kind of gross. Um, so like, so you, you like, there's all this hidden, like, uh, these blind spots of like not valuing your time and going sourcing materials. Um, that, uh, but the other, but there is another objection that I'd love to hear your guys's take on that I think is a little bit more legit and that is vendor lock. So when I was first pushing back on like sourcing bagged mixes, I was worried about pricing and I was worried about vendor lock. Um, the idea being is like, well, shit, like if I like run out, like I can't just go down to like with a scratch mix. I could like if I ran out of sand, right, or I ran out of cement, I could go down to the local masonry supply and get sand and cement and carry on my day like on a Saturday or Sunday. Now, if you think about a flow state, hopefully you're not working on Saturday and Sunday, right? And like you're right. not actually running out of inventory, right? So fix. So that's an example of optimizing for the wrong thing, right? When you when you like think use that as a justification. For going with the scratch mix, you're actually optimizing for the wrong thing. Um, but that being said, there is still the really legit, in my opinion, fear or concern over vendor lock. Like what happens, like heaven forbid, right? And, and this would be the same if it's Kodiak and you guys, if it's Fishstone and Tom Fisher, if it's the Trinit guys, whomever it is. Like, okay, now I'm locking into those guys. What happens if something happens to them? Yeah. Right. Have you guys like yeah. how do you guys address that and like ease like some little guy like me, my concerns over like shit, I put all my eggs in the Kodiak basket and now like 
Kodiak is doing something else or, you know, well, whatever. The case I'm immortal. Number one, I'm going to live forever. So <laughs> we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, no, this, that's definitely something John and I think about. And it's, it's definitely a legitimate concern because there's a big manufacturer that rumors are they're, they're going to get out of the concrete game that is currently supplying a lot of people. That's just the rumors. You know, who knows if it's real or not, but that's, that's what I'm hearing from people that they're hearing from their suppliers that, Hey, you better get it now because they're, we're hearing that they're going to shut down making concrete and that's problematic. Now, as it's the end of the world, no, in this, in my opinion, in the sense of there are good products out there. I a hundred percent feel that what we've developed is what I'd consider the best for a lot of different reasons. But that being said, if Kodiak didn't exist, there's a lot of good products out there. And so if, you know, God forbid Kodiak went under tomorrow, it's not like your business shuts down, even though you've gotten really accustomed to the flow, the process of using our products, that doesn't mean that you can't in, in time switch to a different product line. Yeah. But it is, it is a concern. You know, you were saying that on a Saturday you could run down and pick up sand and cement. You know, I can't remember, I guess I can't remember, it was probably 2004, the last time I could get everything locally. Because once I made the switch mm -hmm. to GFRC, a lot of those yeah. things still had to be Polymers shipped to me. Yeah, yeah right? plasticizer, yeah. Advocame from Grace, you know, all these different things were going on that yep. it wasn't local. And that was a problem I had with my guys was they didn't communicate with me back then. And we'd be like mid-cast and we would need, you know, I'm, I don't know if you guys remember the terminology quarter batches, but we used to everything in a quarter batch. Mm -hmm. It was quarterback sure. Portland. And we, we'd be that, like into yeah. like a 40 quarter batch mix or, you know, project. <laughs> we'd be 20 in and they're like, hey, hey boss, we're out of Adva. I'm like, uh, they don't carry that at Ace. Yeah. They don't carry that at Home Depot, bro. I have to order that. It's going to take a week to get here. And we're yeah. halfway through the project. He should have told me. Yeah. Well, don't know what to tell you. And so then we have to stop. Then we'd cast a week later and the color would be different. You put the pieces side by side. They're all slightly different now. So I get what you're saying. I would say really where we're at in the concrete industry now with technology, most products aren't going to be local for a lot of the, you know, the sand and cement will be local for a lot yeah, of people, but a lot of, the, mm -hmm. a lot of the other things won't be. You have to have faith. You know, John and I, there's another concrete materials company that was bought um, by a company. So they're manufacturing, they were owned by concrete people, and they're bought by a company that makes like Amish fireplaces and plastic um, ceiling tiles, like decorational faux tin ceiling tiles. And this company, <laughs> this company thought, you know what we should do? We should buy this concrete company over here. We should, what do you guys know about concrete? You know nothing about it. But they bought it. And when they bought it, like what happened when uh, was things changed? Yeah. Changed because wrong Well, their focus went to, yeah, the, you know, like, like anything on a big business, they started focusing on the bottom line. Yeah. And yeah. optimizing and their and opinion so they, should be optimized. Exactly. Yeah. Peeling back things they thought were unnecessary based on raw materials or cost or storage and yeah, made modifications that were not necessarily taking into account what the artisan was looking for or and why those things were being done to begin and with and why they were being yeah, used, why they're important. So this company was purchased by another company and the feedback from people using it was it changed. You know, they, they had grown accustomed to this product line. They liked the product line. It got purchased and now it changed. And so I'd say the one thing that, we bring to the table that me and John bring to the table is this is what we do. We're concrete people. We're not yep. rubber people. We're not Amish fireplace people. We're concrete people. This is our livelihood. This is our passion. And Kodiak Pro, we have no intent. John nor I have any intent of selling this business. You know, I'm in my mid forties. John's in his mid fifties. 
each of us have another 20 That's years it? in us. Yeah. We have another <laughs> 20 years in us of, of doing this, but you know, like everybody kind of like what you're finding is you're getting older. You don't necessarily want to do a ton of, you know, heavy casting stuff that you, I used to do a ton of production. I don't really want to do a ton of production anymore. I'm more interested in mm. this aspect of it. It's kind of like the season of life is changing. And for me and for yeah. John and for you, your focus starts to change. And so this is really yes. becoming more and more our focus. Kodiak pro is consuming more, really consumes probably 90% of my time each week and same with John. And yeah. yeah. And so this is, we have no intent. This isn't like a side project or a hobby. This is our long-term plan as businessmen and as, um, business owners, we want to continue this. We have no intent of, um, of shuttering it or selling it or anything like that. So, yeah, but I understand. No, and I, yeah. I, yeah, no. And I think it's just, um, it wasn't meant as, uh, certainly not as an attack or anything like that. Um, I, I think every I'm feeling attacked right now. Triggered. John needs to go to a safe space for a minute. Yeah. Some of some of it might come out more strongly against the Kodiak folks. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Oh, we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into that, that though, I had one more. Are you triggered, John? No, I'm not triggered. <laughs> okay. But I did want to add one more uh, based on see there I do believe that there's still a lot of information out there coming from people who it's in their best interest to create the friction, meaning, you know, not help flow. So as you're talking about, uh, it was funny because when it was coming across, now I understand you're saying vendor with a V. I thought it was a B. And I'm like, what is vendor lock? I don't get it. <laughs> What's he talking about, man? But I'm going to be quiet and just see where this goes and find out what a vendor lock is. But, <laughs> but um, the other... <laughs> the other thing that I think gets pushed a lot, the fear of a pre-blended material is, you know, there's people out there that keep, keep the, I'm going to, I'm going to call it fear. And that's the idea that no, 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 you need, you need to know every ingredient. Oh, yeah. You have to know, you know, why it's there. And, and if you don't, then if something goes wrong, like you just said, you know, I can't just go down to a, a local hardware store or, or and pick up materials. But that comes all that comes out along. The uh, so where I'm saying again, without stepping on our you know soapbox, is having been designing materials for 20 plus years. That is as we come all the way back to about giving information. That's where I'm very open with information because. I do believe people should be familiar with what they're using so that even though there is some extremely proprietary things that, that I'm after this whole career have realized that, you know, it's not just about putting the puzzle together with, with raw material manufacturers. It really boiled down to, to achieve what, what I felt I was trying to achieve. And now what other people are successfully witnessing is I literally had to have some of those materials made to a specification to create what we're trying to create. But that doesn't change the fact that I still like people being familiar with what they're using. My point being is I think that's another one of the things that draws people away is they think they're making their life easier by knowing they're using Medicalin and, and their sands and da 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 da. Yeah, they're filling their 
their capacity. As you said, they're compromising for the wrong reasons. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, and it it took me a while to come to that realization. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, of course I'm off. Like you actually have to go through it a little bit. And then you start to realize like, I don't fucking care about all this stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't make it into the day. The concrete (laughs) isn't any better because you batched out the silica film and the medicalin and whatever. It's no better, but you wasted your time and you wasted your energy and you wasted your mental capacity doing those things when you could have just bought a bag mix, had it delivered on a truck, cut the bag open, dumped it out, probably did for the better mix at the end of the day, honestly. And you could have focused on all the other things, but yeah. you didn't. So you, spent your time. Yeah. You, you just mentioned something. So John, 100% agree. Like uh, spot on, right? Like I, like you have to get to a point where like you trust the people whose primary business is doing that. Like, um, and recognize what your core business is. Right. Right. And that's, and that's actually, that transcends all of business, not just precast concrete. Right. That's like high tech industry, farm, whatever it is. Right. Like, so, um, there's that, um, Brandon, you hit it spot on optimizing for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, um, and then like, I, I think, taking that to like the cognitive load thing is like, I just don't have the capacity to actually give a shit about like that stuff. Like I want it to work. You know? Well, I think, I think John was right that I think a lot of this comes from uh, people that have a vested interest in perpetuating that mindset. And if you're new to the industry, you're looking for somebody to lead you in what's important. What should I focus on? I don't know what to focus on. I'm new, you know, Hey guys, I'm new here. I don't know what to do. Yep. And yep. if there's somebody over here who presents himself as an expert and they're like, here's what you need to focus on. Let me tell you what's important. Then that's the path you go down. And maybe at some point you look back and say, that guy that told me that doesn't actually do this. He's not actually mm. doing it. Like, man, Mm -hmm. some people have that realization. Some people don't. But the fact is there's, there's certain people out there that are perpetuating the wrong, not argument, but the wrong focus, the wrong focus. They're just saying, you need to, you know, you need to know this, you know, this, you need to focus on this. You got to focus on that. And you're like, for somebody that actually does it, they're, they're telling people the wrong stuff. And, um, and and in the end, it's going to be the, the death of that company, whoever, you know, focus on those things. At the end of the day, their cognitive load was was totally at max capacity with all the wrong things. And yeah. uh, and then a year or two goes by, they drain their savings and they shutter their shop and they go on to something else. And, yeah. you know, yeah. There's something related to this, Brandon, is um, have you guys heard of the, the paradox of choice? So it's this idea, we have this thing out there in the consumer world where we've got all these choices. And it actually like makes life harder and uh increases our anxiety Mm -hmm. and and i I see some of that going on yeah Um, i don't know if it's as extreme in our industry but i do think that we are seeing this paradox of all these choices right it's like training it's materials sealers approaches equipment like all that stuff right yeah and it's exacerbated i believe because Let's face it, um, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but there is a fairly low barrier to entry to getting started in this. Oh, now, there's none. 
I, yeah. I got now, into it. Do I did. Well. I never done concrete <laughs> when I did it. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I just like wandered yeah. into it, I had never, besides casting like a concrete sidewalk with my grandfather, I'd never done concrete, you know? Yeah. So that's part of the conundrum, right? Is like, you've got this low barrier and where someone could like literally, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but watch a YouTube video and like go down and like buy a sheet of melamine, form up, buy a, you know, a sack of quickrete and like probably like have that aha moment where like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can do this. And that's amazing and, because that's actually more... <laughs> That's more information than I was provided when I first started. Like that yeah. simple YouTube video gets people further down the road than when I started, what was available. Yeah. And yeah. when I started and the first thing I cast, it was the most amazing feeling. I wish I could feel that feeling again. The first piece of concrete that I cast oh, and yeah. demolded was insane. And, you know, I still get those feelings at probably like 10%. It's not anywhere near that first one, you know, just like, ah! And it, he looked back and it was horrible, but at the moment yeah. it was the coolest thing I'd ever made in my life. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we still have ours. Like my wife and I cast this like little coffee table and it was quick read and we fucking ran out. Like, <laughs> so you could see like on one edge, it's kind of crumbled and we still have it. Like we still have it to this day. It was like, it's not even sealed. It's just sitting there. It's like, it's just this beautiful thing. Like, that that first time of unmolding a piece of concrete, there's nothing like it. Yeah. But but the problem, I think the conundrum there is like there's a lot of people either got their start that way or entering that way. And then, you know, it's really low barrier entry. And then you realize to do it well, well, that's a different ballgame. Yeah. And and you've got all these choices around how do I like, okay, hopefully you recognize, and this is a big hope, that you recognize I need some training to do this professionally and to do it right and to like actually command a premium for what it is that I'm making. That's also a mistake that people are making is like not optimizing like their pricing. Um, <clears throat> but again, that has uh, to do with the training because the people they right. yeah. learn from don't operate businesses. So they don't have the, um, the breadth of knowledge to draw upon to actually have an informed conversation with the people. They read something in a book. You know, John was talking about, uh, what were you saying about you could you could read something in encyclopedia, but it was a really great analogy, but it doesn't mean well, that— Well, what I was talking about is, yeah, I, li I literally had a, this conversation with somebody, but I just asked him a question. And I we all went through this, right? At some point, this, go all the way back to grammar school. And remember when you had to take a, a book report or you had to do a report on, let's say, a place, right? And let's say, I don't know, Asheville, North Carolina, Right. And, and you write, and so you go to the encyclopedia, you pull up Asheville, you write, you learn about, you know, what the population is, or maybe what the weather's like, or whatever the case may be. And, and so you read all this, and then you write your report on it. And you get graded on it. But really, at the end of the day, you've never been to Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yeah. you have Versus no idea. people who live there, they actually know about Asheville. Right. Yeah. And so if you went to somebody who lives in Asheville and said, hey, write me something about this place, you know, they would give you a completely different portrayal of what this place really is versus what you read about, you know. And and so mm. that I think is a I've always found it a concern myself with some of the information that's out there, not all of it, but some of the information that's out there that I think continues to, to lead people astray because that might be coming from people who 
you know, who wrote reports about this stuff, but doesn't have the hands-on experience mm-hmm. of doing it. Yeah, or pricing. Um, and, it's in their, and, and this is makes it difficult. It's in their vested interest, both financially and everything, to keep that moving along, which makes it even more difficult. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you guys, I think. And so there's this, like, there's this conundrum that we all face. And, like, you know, to a degree, you get to a point where, like, we're going to do something about it. Like, uh, and I think that's what I see folks like yourselves and others doing out there is stepping up and assuming a little bit more responsibility over an otherwise totally wild, wild west industry. <laughs> yeah, it's a right? lawless industry. That's for sure. Lawless. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, let's face it, you guys, like I, I, and I mean this in the, uh, most respectful way possible, but along with that low barrier to entry, like folks get into this for a certain reason, right? Like autonomy, like nobody's going to fucking tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, like, and, and so that actually becomes a little bit part of the vicious cycle in this, right? Like BG's not going to tell me what to do. And I've been there. Like I've, 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 (laughs) I haven't said it in that many words, but I've like, I've had that mentality. Right. So short of doing it long enough to, to kind of go full circle and, and like take stock of life and like reprioritize, like what's important to me. Like, I think a lot of people are kind of in that sort of area there where they don't know enough yet to like, or they haven't sat back and taken that stock to make those decisions to like actually help their businesses. So it's a, you know, it's another conversation entirely, but I, I see a lot of that going on. It reminds me, and I'll move on to Sealer here because I know we want to talk about this too. But it reminds me of another quote that I'm really like love. It's it's not from a movie, but from a uh, Chris Rock, one of my favorite comedians. He did a stand up long time ago, Never Scared. He does a segment on politics. He talks about gang mentality and like, you know, we're either like Democrat or Republican, or you're blue or red, or you're like, you know, liberal or conservative. And it's like the reality is nobody is one thing. Right. No. Like, yeah, we're not. And um, America in like the you know, there's a lot of people just kind of in the middle. And I'd like to sort of lump myself in there. Have I taken one side occasionally and taken pot shots? Of course I have. Like I'd be a, a liar if I said I didn't like say things like better watch out. The design police are listening or something <laughs> like that. Right? Like I, <laughs> I have said it guilty. But here's the thing that like. I am confident that I haven't done is that I haven't made up my mind before actually hearing the issue and like trying it on my own. So Chris Rock in that segment says anybody that makes up their mind before they hear the issue is a fucking fool. And I agree. And so I've mentioned to you guys and I mentioned to, you know, other folks, like I'm actually evaluating openly, you know, what you guys offer and comparing that my experiences and way I do things with um, a couple of others. I'm not like doing this like massive like comparison, but like I feel that's the responsible way to do it rather than just say Kodiak sucks. Well, did you open up a bag and try it? Yeah. You know, well, like, that's what I like about you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I like about you is, is you keep an open mind to things. You, you have know. to. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing, like, and, and then now let's, let, let's move on, is things evolve. 
right? I think another thing that we're all guilty of, myself for sure, is like, dude, you told me to use EAP. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That was 15 years ago or whatever it was. You know, things, you know, learnings evolve over time. And so we have to keep an open mind to evolve because otherwise, if you just get rooted in the way that you were taught 10, 13 years ago, you're missing out on a lot of new stuff. Absolutely. So that's the way I feel about things. And we have to like, we have to be open-minded that also the people that are providing, like you guys and others, um, their products are evolving and their perspective is evolving as well. So that's all I would say about that. But again, there's like, yes, I have had poked fun, <laughs> but I've also kept an open mind. And like, I try my best to like, not make a decision before at least trying something. So sure. You and I had a conversation recently, right? And, you know, we talked about some of the things that, you know, we've experienced over the years. And like, I think like men, we like had that conversation and moved on and in a better place for it. Um, I would challenge folks out there. Have they done the same, you know? Um, so that's first and foremost. But the second thing is, yeah, it goes back to a couple things. One's the gang mentality, right? And I fell for it. And I, I, I'm not a perfect person. I will probably still fall for it in the future, right? Just like I've, you know, said things. I've, I'm certain I've mentioned like seemingly harmless things about Dusty Creed, and I've certainly mentioned things about like <laughs> John, 25 or 30 pounds of pressure on ICT, you know, <laughs> like that whole thing, right? Like I've, yeah. I'm, I've done all of that. Sure. Um, so I think we need to like. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, I, I recognize, you know what, I need to I need to cut that shit out, first of all. And I need to be a man. And I need to, again, go back to, like, the root of it all is, like, what do I value in life? And cut all the other shit out because there's only so many days left. And I'm not going to spend the rest of my days disparaging, like, all these people out there. No. Like, that's just low value to me. Um, but uh, I do think that there is probably... You know, the guard goes up, Brandon, when, you know, someone like yourself, and it's not just you, when others offer advice that it's like, oh, like a product sales coming along with that. Like, and so I think people need to like get over that. Um, I think both of you, John, I've seen you many times try to help people fix topical sealer problems. (laughs) And you're like, that's like the, not my jam at all, you know, like, but so yeah. I think you guys do a good job of it. It's just, it's natural, right? I think like people feel like. But is it? Because the reason I say is it is we hear that, oh, you guys are just being salesmen, but then you'll see 10 other posts from 10 other companies and not one critical remark towards them. Yeah. The criticism seems to be just one directional. So is it that or is there something else? Well, I mean, I have my own opinions on Yeah, this. I'd love to hear your opinions. They are. Yeah, I mean, first of all, haters are going to hate, right? Like, I mean, that's like, you know, that, that phrase has been out there for a long time. And like, you know, I think the hate probably comes your way because, you know, and I think you've mentioned this on other podcasts, but like you excel at marketing, right? And people see that and like, they, it's sort of a reflection on themselves. Like if they're not good at marketing or they're struggling in their business yet, you are like, it's like, it's totally misplaced, but it's the truth. Like, 
So I think I think there's a variety of things. Like, you know, you've been successful, Brandon, in a lot of different ways. Both of you have been very successful um, from different perspectives. Um, Brandon, I think you're much more visible in the industry than a lot of others. And I think that there's uh, that sort of jealousy comes along with it. Um, I think if I'm being honest with you, I think that there are some things that feel like, well, as part of being an excellent marketer, <laughs> you position things in a certain way that are not necessarily untruthful, but they push the envelope. When I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So when you say like you're the first to bring fabric forming to the industry, like I think people hear that and go, well, wait a minute, like Mark West did this. And like, so it's so like fabric forming has been on hundreds of years. And like, that's, you're pushing the envelope on what you're saying, but were you the first to bring it to the precast concrete industry? I don't know the history, but my, my guess is yes. Yeah, dude. When, like, I, when I did fabric did, forming, yeah. nobody was teaching fabric forming. Yeah. Class number one. Yeah. And yeah, I've never said the Romans didn't fabric form or Mark Weston fabric form. I'm saying <laughs> what we do and how we do it, the way we do it is what I brought to this industry. And that's a fact. Yeah. But, but if somebody's but like I'm looking for a way to, to, I know, but if somebody's looking for a way to diminish that, they're going to find it. If, you know, like if that's what yeah, you're that's looking it. for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that goes back to haters are going to hate, right? Um, when you said that, it's never really struck me other Anyway, other than like, eh, he's fucking pushing the marketing envelope as he should, as we all should, right? Like, but I is I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but is it pushing a marketing envelope to say I taught the first class on it if I taught the first class on it? Is that pushing a marketing envelope? Should that not be said? I mean, if Buddy Road says I brought concrete, I'm the godfather of concrete. I brought concrete to the the industry, which I would say is true. He did bring it. Did he? Well, the Romans. There's concrete <laughs> countertops. He's not a godfather. You piece of shit. <laughs> I hope you die. It's like, uh, huh? people hear what they want to hear. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's and then so so that's so part of the problem, Brandon, is like that's been established and like people. There are some people that like, hey, you know what, like. I prioritize that a certain way and I'm still open enough to like hear what these guys have to offer. Others are like, fuck it, man. Like fuck BG, you know, maybe not so disparagingly towards Schuler, although I know they like no, Schuler. They, Schuler's dude, <laughs> I give John, John can say whatever he can say, whatever. <laughs> and it will, it will trigger people to respond to me. Yeah. Like John will make a comment. People will respond in anger to John's comment directed at me. And John's like, but I'm the yeah. one who said it. Brandon. He's like, dude, Brandon didn't say that. I said, it. no, no, no. Brandon's the problem. I know yeah. he got in your mind and yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, it's crazy. Yeah. I, so, yeah, so the cool. other aspect of this, you guys is like, I just, and I, I sort of, it was a realization I came to because of my like, my propensity to share and like some of the negative feedback I got from it, just like little old me. Right. So I can only imagine like, because the, the feedback that you guys get where people think that like, there must be some ulterior motive to it. Right. When, when, and like when I would share, people would claim that like I was trying to take credit for something that like I didn't come up with or didn't know about. It. I'm like, no, that's like not what it is. Like I'm like literally wired to share. I get mm -hmm. so excited about something that like I want others to know it too. People, a, a good portion of people in this industry are just not wired that way. Like they just don't see that. 
you mm. know. And but but hold on, I just, hold on. So this podcast, right? This podcast, we don't do this because I have nothing else to do. Like I'm no, not I just sitting it. around I was on surprised a Friday. You guys have time to do it this often. We don't. We don't. Yeah. I like it. Legit cost us time and money because time is money. You know, it cost us to do this. And so, you know, the the feedback we hear from people is, "Well, you guys talk about Kodiak. Of course, we. I'm not Mother yeah. Teresa, yeah. dude. Like, yeah. what do you think? We're having a conversation. The conversation has a lot of value. You'll learn a lot from it. You'll pick up a lot of insights. But we're also going to talk about what is important to us, and that's Kodiak. And anybody that does a podcast, just out of the goodness of their heart, they don't do it for long." They'll do yeah, two or three episodes exactly. and then they're like, man, <laughs> no, this is work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is work. And, and I got bills to pay and I got, you know, I got things to do, man. I don't have time you know, to just sit around and do this. People, yeah. There's been some people out there that launched, launched some, I think not too long ago. And I was kind of sitting there going like, what's the end game in this? Like you don't have a product and you're just kind of rambling on on these things. Like, where are you going with this, man? And of course it didn't last very long. Yeah. Um, but I would say if trying to find fault in, in what we do with sharing information, whether it's the podcast or on forums or, or however, but also discussing the products that, that we developed and manufacture, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think, I don't think, I don't know. It's a weird thing for me. Agreed. No, agreed. I think like, and so like, that's what, like what I mentioned about the channel, like, like, dude, this is a means to an end. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm giving, but like, believe me, <laughs> there's a strategy here to make money. Like, yeah. And We'll all win. There's nothing. So I think for me personally, so oh Jesus, I'm going all over the place. So first of all, part of this goes back to the low barrier to entry to get into this industry to begin with spoils a lot of people and gets people off on the wrong foot. They think, and I made my first post in Concrete Countertop Forums. This was probably 15 years ago. My big fear was that like the people, the way they would post and demand answers to their questions this entitlement that, yeah. that came. You remember that? It was like my first, yeah. like it was this long, like five. That's why I left questions. because the entitlement, yeah, that it was, was the, crazy. That was yes. the end, yeah. final downfall of it. Yes. That was it. There's this, there's this massive entitlement of these people that like, I was sitting there like, what makes you think you're entitled to jack shit? Like you're not. And like the way they were posting and my fear that I post at that time was like, there's a lot of brilliant, not just you guys, but like, there's a lot of people that came from a lot of different perspectives that were brilliant minds actively sharing. They all fucking left. Yeah. All of yep. them. Yeah. Really upset me. And I, and I could see it coming. Right. And, and so that's part of the problem is this low barrier to entry, to get into this industry to begin with. And then this sort of like kind of entitled, if you will, perspective on it. The other thing that, you know, I bring like just speaking for myself is coming from the high tech world, like, we're very used to paying for knowledge, <laughs> you know, like, and, and like whether you go to webinars and seminars and things like that, or training or like, you don't just get information about this kind of stuff for free. And if you do, guess what? A product sale is coming along with it. Like that's yeah. just how that shit works. So it was like, it was not new to me to see you guys do it or other folks out there do it. But I think not everybody has that perspective, I guess. Do they listen to the radio? I mean, there's commercials on the radio. They listen yeah. <laughs> to the radio? I don't know. It, it, and the other thing is, I really feel, Sean, that what we do with the podcast in particular is we heavily, heavily focus on content and having good information. 
Like sure. we're yeah, giving yeah. more than we're getting by far. Yeah. And I really believe in that. I, I believe I was telling John this earlier, maybe less than 5% of our discussion is promotion of products that we sell. 95% is discussion about whatever, whatever it is, pause lens, uh, mm -hmm. photography, how to price your work, the importance, you know, all those yep. different things. We talk about all that stuff. We, we make it a point not to spend an hour talking about how great our classes are, how great this is, how great that is, because that would be a commercial that'd be pretty boring and nobody would listen. But we really try. I mean, we legitimately try hard to have meaningful discussions that will help the industry as a whole move forward you know, in a better direction for everybody. That's our, that's our goal. That's our hope. You know, I hope everybody, you, everybody out there grows successful businesses. I legitimately do because it, it doesn't take anything away from me. It just betters everybody. And if by chance you use our products even better, awesome. But if you don't, that's great too. It's not going to change, you know, <laughs> it's not going to change anything if you use a different product. I still hope everybody runs successful businesses long-term. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. I I agree, Brandon, and I'll, I'll give you uh, an example uh, from my own experience, revisiting everything with an open mind, because um, I uh, I didn't like keep up with the podcast like real time. I only recently actually visited um, them, and I uh, had the podcast on for a couple days running the shop and listened to it from almost from the beginning. I think it gives folks a different perspective, right? Uh, you got kind of a, a, a fresher take on things, but I'll give, I'll give you just point out one. Okay. That and that was Dusty Creek. Like I'm yeah. actually planning on looking at the calendar and learning that. It completely opened my mind hearing what Dusty went through. Like I wasn't privy to all that. Like you know, in, in terms of like how he got into the business, how he struggled, how he kind of landed on this technique, uh, whatever he did with his pricing, like tripled it or what He's have still you. going up. Yeah, he's still going up. Yeah. He's beating people away with a stick and he can't get rid of them. Now, if you're coming at with that with a closed mind, um, you know, you'll hear, I listen to it and go, and, and, and by the way, guys, I think you probably know this, but it's like, it's not really my style. Like Brandon, similar to you, like, I kind of like that more minimalistic finish mm -hmm. on the concrete. And I like the shape to talk more than like the finish, if you will. John, I think you're a little bit different where like yeah. you really put a lot of thought and effort into the finish. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you guys, like, and, and I'm sure I'm going to get some phone calls after people hear this. <laughs> well, nobody listens, but, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> but I am like, I am, I am really intrigued by adding that to my repertoire for certain things. Dude, Dusty, um, if we were smart, and none of us are, but if we were, <laughs> we would be doing what Dusty is doing because it solves all the friction points that you discuss. The problems yeah. people have with concrete, the, you know, they see a scratch at 3 p.m. in this raking light, um, all these different things. His surface is the most life-friendly surface possible. Yeah. It works yeah. in rustic homes. It works in modern homes. He posts photos of homes that could be on the cover of Dwell magazine that have Dusty mm -hmm. Crete, super clean, minimal kitchen with just that beautiful textured surface that has that organic quality to it that that space needed to bring some, some warmth to it. And he is... Arguably, as far as a small artisan company, there's big companies out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's companies like Concrete Works, Mark Rogero. 
that, oh, yeah. that are going to be yeah. from a financial viewpoint, here. super successful. But Dusty yeah. as a small business is arguably the most successful artisan in our industry. He is slammed busy. His prices are through the roof. He keeps rising, raising his prices. He keeps pushing people away. He can't take on more work. And that's a phenomenal place to be. But Dusty, what he's doing, if we were smart, and again, I'm not, but if I was, that's what I'd be doing is what Dusty does. Because that is, from a business viewpoint, the best business. Yeah. Again, I, I'll go back to that statement, Brandon, that anyone that makes up their mind before they hear the issue is a fucking fool. Yeah. And like, I have been a fool for a long time for like having a certain perspective on finishes like that and upright casting, John. Like, yeah. I just like, oh, what are you talking about? Trialing? Like, you know, I immediately like box that up and go like, I've already made up my mind and I haven't even like seen it up close. Like you're talking about Brandon. I think I've only seen it in pictures actually, which doesn't do it justice I, at all. And I certainly haven't tried it and I haven't opened up my mind to like what that could do for my business. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You know, Henry um, Ford, I want to say it's Henry Ford. I could be wrong, but I heard the story a long time ago when he had like a new executive that he was thinking about hiring, he'd take them to lunch and he would wait for the food to be delivered. And if that person picked up the salt and salted their food without tasting it, he wouldn't hire mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. because they already yeah, decided. Yeah. But yeah, not having preconceived biases towards whatever aesthetics, products, finishes, did you guys want to touch on? I mean, we've been at it for a while, and I could keep going because well, I'd say let's conversation. John, you're a great guest because the conversations I think are super in depth. I'd say let's save that. Let's save that for okay. for episode two, which maybe we'll do in, in a few weeks from now, three weeks, four weeks, whatever. Let's do another episode and pick up that conversation and continue because I think there's a lot more things we could talk about. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, and today's my anniversary, by the way, my wedding anniversary. So I got to edit this. And then I got to get home. Holy Sheesh. anniversary. Brandon, mine's the ninth. So, so three happy days Happy anniversary Thanks, to buddy. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's only oh, been, that's crazy. It's been 84 years now. Yeah, <laughs> 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 she, she forgot last night. I stopped and got flowers on the way home. And uh, I picked up my daughter from school and then we stopped and got flowers. And, you know, I told my daughter to walk in, but like say happy anniversary. So we walk in and she says that my wife was like, what? I'm like, you didn't know? She's like, no, I totally forgot. <laughs> I was like, well, I remembered. So anyways, yeah, so we got to do something today. But Well, happy anniversary to you. That's awesome. Yeah, How long has it been? 84 years. Yeah, it's years? been 84 years. <laughs> 84 long years. Uh, no, it's been eight years. Eight years. It feels like yeah. 84, but um, it's been eight. And yeah, I mean, th- just the last eight years of my life from Phoenix to Eureka Springs to building, having kids... Uh, yeah. it's just nuts. What can happen in less than a decade? You know, it's insane. John, let me ask you this. So Brandon, you've yeah. gotten past seven years, which is kind of a general rule of thumb. John, you, how long have you been married? Uh, so we've been married, shoot, uh, 22 years. Did you, uh, did that, that, that sort of rule of thumb around seven years hit you too? I think there's some rule of thumb where it's like you get past seven and it's like, it's good. Like you're, you're, you're no, well, see, unfortunately I, what I'm going to tell you is the whole marriage sign the paper thing. It doesn't mean much. We've been together since we were 16. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the two of us navigated going through college and doing all these kind of things and, uh, you know, tell you the stories and then, you know, move in together, move out together, move in together, you know. So, no, we've been together for a very long time. So 
for us, the, which I never wanted to, but I have a totally different reasons for that. It had to do with the way I, I grew up. The marriage was nowhere on my radar whatsoever. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> and not because, yeah, it had nothing to do with the relationship. It just had to do with uh, the way I grew up and yeah. what what I thought marriage meant. What I thought marriage meant was the end of the story, not the beginning of the story, having to live with a, you know, going through five divorces. Anyway, but uh, no, man, we've been together. We still get along like two peas in a pod. We get along great. Good for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, the uh, the reason I asked was Brandon, like, for me, it actually turned true. Like, like we, you know, had a, definitely our ups and downs through the first five, six, seven years. And once we got past seven, things kind of evened out. So I don't know if you've experienced similar, but, you know, kids play a part in that. Like, where you're living, you know, where you are in life plays a part in that. But eight years, good for you, man. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been, it's been a journey, for sure. But... Yeah. You know, my next wife, I'm not going to, I'm not going to actually sign the papers. <laughs> <either, so. laughs> I'll get her a ring. The next one, I'll get her a ring, but we're not going to sign anything. We'll keep it. We'll keep it unofficial. Keep everybody honest that way. But anyways, all right, guys, let's wrap this up. Sean, great Appreciate speaking it. with you, man. Great to have you Likewise. on. Uh, great subjects. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It was, uh, uh, feeling was mutual for sure. I enjoyed it. Adios for now. And I'll see you in a few weeks.